Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Before we begin, here's a special code that gets you a discount subscription to New Scientist. The code is POD20. Go to newscientist.com slash pod20 to subscribe and you get all the contents of the magazine plus audio versions of the stories to listen to on the app. Newscientist.com slash pod20 gets you the 20% discount. Hello, welcome to the New Scientist party and quiz for the end of the year. I'm your host, Rowan Hooper. Thanks for joining us. Um, we're going to have some fingers on buzzers rounds in this quiz, but we don't have buzzers. So panel members, I've asked you guys to provide your own sound making devices. Uh, so let's go around who we've got. Penny Sarche is New Scientist News Editor and the co-host of the award-winning podcast, New Scientist Weekly. Hi, Penny. Hi, I've got this um, red panda glockenspiel. So pretty, pretty chuffed with that, yeah. Very nice. <laughs> Richard Webb is the New Scientist Executive Editor. Hello and welcome, Richard. Hi, and I'm competing with Penny. I've got Chris the Lion xylophone. I can play a quick arpeggion. Wonderful. Or maybe I'll just go up, down. Okay. <laughs> uh, Sam Wong is our social media editor and the star of Science with Sam on YouTube. Hi, Sam. Hello. Um, I have this strange instrument that I'm not sure what it's called but um i uh, found it in the flat and it's just got these strange tones that i can make by flicking these little one rods. so that's my noise and beth ackley is a new scientist sub-editor hi beth hi um i i have a kazoo so i just go fantastic well <laughs> welcome to all of you now some of you were here last year and some are newbies uh, but the rules are very easy we've got eight rounds Five points to the winner of each round. Extra points will be awarded for general amusement value generated during the, the panel and also for correctness. You know, you, you do get <laughs> points for correctness. Um, any interesting interruptions, they'll be awarded. So don't be shy. Uh, jump in. And the prize is this glittering trophy, virtual <laughs> trophy that will be awarded. <laughs> that's, what we're, that's how we roll at New Scientist. Uh, and the winner, can, you can treasure that forever. Everyone ready? Um, I would say fingers on buttons, but you know what I mean. Uh, fingers on kazoos. Uh, and <laughs> let's go with round one. It's the funniest story of the year. So that means the funniest science-related story of the year, not the funniest story you've heard all year. Beth, let's start with you. Okay. Um, so um, I've picked a story about a, a newly classified dinosaur species. So in September this year, 
researchers described two new species um, from this trove of uh, about 50 dinosaur bones that they found on the Isle of Wight in the UK. And the one that kind of grabbed the headlines was called, and I'm going to try and pronounce it properly, it was called uh, Serato Suchops Inferodios, which translates roughly to horned crocodile-faced hell heron. And I, okay. every time I think about it and I just try and picture it, I, I laugh because I, in my head I'm picturing it as a, as a heron-sized dinosaur when in reality it was like nine metres long and it was definitely not something that you wanted to laugh at in any way. But yeah, it's, it's not around okay. anymore so I can laugh at it. Uh, okay, so horned crocodile-faced he- hell heron. Yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> great. Um, Sam, what have you got? Um, I've chosen one of the uh, studies that won the uh, an Ig Nobel Prize this year. So these are the awards for um, uh, research that makes you laugh and then makes you think. And this was a study titled, Can Sex Improve Nasal Function? An Exploration of the Link Between Sex and Nasal Function. And um, the researchers assessed nasal breathing in 18 couples before and after sex. And they found that sex was just as effective at unblocking people's noses as a standard decongestion with uh, effects lasting between one and three hours. (laughs) I'm just going to blow my nose at that. Thanks for that, Richard. Let's let's go on to you now. Actually, what have you got? I've got. I've decided on a paper from the journal Evolutionary Psychology from Martin Harry Turpin at the University of Waterloo, Canada, and his colleagues, titled "Bullshit Ability as an Honest Signal of Intelligence." Actually, am I allowed to say bullshit? Uh, no. I'm pulled underneath the waterline. Anyway, I continue regardless. Anyway, the researchers um, tested, well, first they analysed participants' willingness to bullshit by asking them to rate their knowledge of 10 concepts, four of which didn't exist. They then um, tested the ability to bullshit by subdividing participants into bullshit producers who were tasked with coming up with explanations for the non-existent concepts and bullshit raters who were asked to rate how satisfying they found them. Uh And then they um, measured the susceptibility of all participants to bullshit by getting them to rate the profundity of 10 meaningless but grammatically plausible statements, 10 motivational quotations, (laughs) and 10 mundane statements, with the headline result that the ability to bullshit was correlated with high intelligence as measured via independent tests. And also, although the ability to bullshit proved to be unrelated either to susceptibility to bullshit or willingness to bullshit, a high ability to bullshit led to the bullshitted assessing bullshitters as more intelligent, suggesting it's highly worthwhile to bullshit. Did that make any sense? That might all have been bullshit. It, I was, well, you took the words right out of my mouth, actually. Thank you, Richard, for that. Uh, Penny, let's go to you. I have the story that we all needed in 2021, which was a duck in Australia that says, you bloody fool. <laughs> I can't even say it with a straight face. Um, And so this was the story of a duck some time ago, actually, that got recorded. um, It's actually normally a wild species. It's not known to mimic human uh, speech, uh, but this happened to be an individual that was raised from a young age in captivity and uh, seems to have picked up all kinds of sounds from the farm where it was kept. And that included um, you bloody fool, which it turns out was the catchphrase of one of its caretakers. And I think that's the funniest aspect of it was that this (laughs) 
<laughs> this guy was presumably affectionately, I hope, repeatedly <laughs> calling the duck a fool. And um, I just remember getting the pitch from a, a freelance reporter for this story late on a Friday night and immediately downloading the video, uh, the audio. It was exactly what I needed right in the middle of some COVID news story. So, yes. <laughs> okay, I remember it well. Look, I'm going to give a bonus point to you bloody fool. Uh, to Penny, but the winner has got to be Sam for that uh, preposterous story about sex and nasal breathing. Well done, <laughs> Sam. Five points to you. Thank you. Now, round two. Now we're going to come back down to earth now. It's the what made you feel small this year? Um, what, what story in the world of science made you feel particularly small? Uh, Richard, please try to um, keep it within a, a five minute answer this time. <laughs> All right. I'm going with quantum theory, though, so this might be quite difficult. I'm going with the revival of an idea called superdeterminism, which basically tries to explain why the quantum world appears random by saying, basically, well, the reason why it looks that way is because everything, everything, even the way you choose to make measurements of the quantum world is predetermined. You're actually forbidden from making certain measurements in a certain way. And because you don't know about this, you conclude that random things are happening. And that made you feel small. It did make me feel small because it made me realise that nothing I do has any effect on anything. Uh, Yeah. That Which will, is basically the feeling of 2021 for a lot of people. <laughs> um, Beth, what was yours? Mine is slightly different. Um, this year we learned about um, a grey whale that um, back in 2013 um, went on this epic odyssey. So in 2013 they spotted it off the coast of Namibia, which is unusual because they're normally found in the Northern Hemisphere. So researchers this year, they, they analysed some skin cells uh, taken from the whale, and they f- they figured out that it probably came from a population um, in the North Pacific, which means that to get from there to Namibia, okay. it must have travelled at least 20,000 kilometres, which, if to put that in context, the circumference of Earth uh, is 40,000 kilometres. So in a year when we've not been able to travel much, made me feel pretty small. Yeah, I, I get it. Um, Sam, what have you got? I'm going with uh, a crazy physics one as well, um, so you have to bear with me on this. Um, this is a story by our space reporter, Leah Crane, who, which, and it talked about the idea that the universe might be in a state called the false vacuum. And what that means is we aren't in the lowest possible energy state. And if any part of the universe were to collapse into a true vacuum, then the laws of physics as we know them would collapse inside that bubble of vacuum and the bubble would expand at the speed of light and swallow up everything. So in a study last month, physicists calculated that these vacuum bubbles could form in the space between two colliding black holes. Mm. And if that happens, we'd probably be okay because the bubbles would immediately be sucked into a black hole. But it's not a certainty. So um, after reading that story, I have been a little bit worried that a vacuum bubble might just swallow the universe. And uh, that really puts things into perspective. Yeah. I, so I have nothing to say do matters and yeah. the universe is going to cease to exist as well? Mm. Yeah. Welcome to 2022, everybody. (laughs) Penny, what have you got? Yeah, I'm afraid I'm going to the black holes too. Um, We had a recent story that uh, suggested that, well, I mean, it's big news for astronomers. They've discovered nearby two black holes that are currently in the process of colliding. But nearby is 89 million light years away. And in the process of colliding means that they'll have merged in 250 million years time. So that just made me feel very small. Indeed. Well, hey. <laughs> okay, look, um, 
Look, Richard, I'm going to give you a one point for just saying that nothing we do makes any difference. <laughs> but I, you're not the winner of this round because we're trying to be positive. And so for that reason, I'm going to give it to Beth um, because, like, what a what an exceptional animal, grey whale going halfway around the world. So well done, Beth. Thanks. <laughs> Round three is life form of the year, formerly known as animal story of the year, but we accept all life forms here. So I don't want to just be focusing on animals here when we can have other kingdoms and any domain is welcome. So Penny, let's start with you. I went for a story that um, every once in a while as a news editor, you get pretty much every reporter on your team pitching the same story. And that story this year was cows that could use a toilet. <laughs> so these were cows in New Zealand that were trained to use a, a latrine. It's even harder than it might sound at first because cows don't actually have any control normally over when they do their business. But through a bit of positive and negative reinforcement, uh, some treats, some sprays of water, they managed to train these cows uh, to relieve themselves 77% uh, of the time in a latrine, which has benefits for pollution and waste. But soberingly for me anyway, apparently that's uh, far faster and better learning than you get when you uh, potty train a toddler. So that was uh, <laughs> that was worrying for me to learn. I, I can see some crossover points between the funniest story of the year here potentially coming up, Penny. Um, Beth, what have you got? I also went for something gross. Um, <laughs> it turns out that um, wood-eating cockroaches um, have a kind of unusual mating ritual um, where after they mate, um, they some of them... Some of the time they eat each other's wings uh, and they're not really sure why they do this. Um, it appears to be voluntary. They don't fight each other off or anything, but there doesn't seem to be any kind of nutritional benefit to it. They've got a few theories as to why it happens. It might be because uh, that they, they tend to mate for life. So um, it might be to encourage other cockroaches to stick around and actually raise the children. And it might be for maneuverability through wood and stuff. But yeah, we're not really sure why they do this, but... Fair play to them if that's what if that's what they're into. One of those questions that's just going to haunt my nightmares now. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. As if the cow cow latrine story isn't going to haunt mine, Penny. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sam, what have you got? So I've gone with um, the octopus, which is everyone's favourite, and you know we're increasingly learning that they're more similar to, similar to us than we ever thought. And um, this year we found out that um, octopuses sometimes throw things at each other when they get annoyed. And, and that's quite difficult. I don't know if you've ever tried to throw anything underwater, but it's really hard. And in most cases with the octopuses, it's females that do the throwing. And often they're throwing things at males that are harassing them. So they hold silt or shells in their tentacles and they shoot a jet of water to propel them at their targets. And initially researchers were not sure if they were doing this on purpose or not. But um, after collecting more and more examples of this happening, there was one female they saw doing it 10 times at a male that was trying to mate with her, and uh, she managed to hit him five times. So that was one of the reasons they were convinced that they really are doing this deliberately. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, and Richard? Well, I'm going to go for something of absolutely no zero, zero ethnological significance whatsoever, but the, heart, the heartwarming story of, of Wally the Walrus, who you might have been following throughout the year, in the year when we couldn't travel very far ourselves. He was first seen off the coast of Ireland in March, 
and it's speculated that he fell on a sleep, uh, fell asleep on an iceberg that became untethered from the Arctic. And he was sub- subsequently spotted off Wales, Cornwall in the UK and France. He set a record for the most southerly walrus ever spotted by popping up near Bilbao in Spain. He then receded back up to the Isles of Scilly, I think, off Cornwall, where he managed yeah. to destroy a number of boats. Um, they tried to scare him off there by using polar bear scent and growls. He then popped up off Cork, County Cork in Ireland, on a motorboat belonging to a gin distillery. That's my favourite <laughs> bit of the story. He was last spotted in Iceland in September with the speculation that he might be getting back to where he belongs. But what a wonderful European tour from Wally the Walrus. Uh, that is a lovely story. Um, now, what have we got? Um, I do. Let, let, let's give an, a, a point to the female octopus chucking stuff at the ma- the nasty male octopus bothering her that's quite good good work but look it's got to for me it's got to go to the cockroaches they are underappreciated insects i love a good insect story cockroaches are fas- fascinating insects and not the nasty things everyone thinks of and it's a, what an interesting post copulatory behavior so <laughs> beth well done five points to you for that rowan's always gonna uh, show favoritism towards the insects aren't I, I, that's my prerogative. You, know, you should have known. I'm the quiz master. I've okay, also got this story of the, um, the, there's a parasitic fungus that was seen in 50 million years old that was bursting out of an ant's rectum in amber. Does that, that count? Late entry? <laughs> it might have done, but you already had your chance and you went with Wally. So I'm sorry, I can't accept that anymore. Right, round four. Here's something I can't control. Um, we're getting some questions from the audience. We've got our um, Christmas helper here, Izzy. He's going to pass me some questions. Uh, this is a quick fire round, so this is when you're going to need your sound making device. Uh, look, the questions might not have right or wrong answers, okay? So just go for it and we'll see where we get. Here's a question from Rachel McKeown. If you could invite anyone from the world of science, past or present, to Christmas dinner, who would you choose? Let's go for that. Oh, Sam, um, who would you choose? I, I would invite uh, Hervé Thys, the, um, the French chemist who is the father of uh, molecular gastronomy. I think he would be quite useful Ooh. to have around in the kitchen at uh, Christmas time. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's what I would expect from you, Sam. Uh, the culinary question, answer there. Uh, great. Anyone else want to jump in with someone? Oh, 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 Richard? Someone's got to say Einstein, obviously. Oh. But... I think I just end up arguing with him, with him about quantum theory. So I'm going to say Nikola Tesla in his late, absolutely bizarre phase of death rays and living in a New York hotel, feeding pigeons and getting pigeon droppings everywhere. Apparently, he was, although he was completely antisocial, he was wonderful in private and a great connoisseur of good food and good wine. Great. I think I'd rather have the French guy, though. So uh, five <laughs> points to Sam for that. Uh, next question is from Andrew Williamson. Uh, what do the panel think that humanity would have achieved by 2121, 100 years' time? Oh, Sam, go for it. Um, someone will have invented a shaving razor with 45 blades. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it still God. won't be enough. Uh, is that it? Is that really the best that new scientists can do? <laughs> looking... Oh! Well, I've, I've been criticised for being negative before, but I'd say surviving. Yeah, <laughs> but actually I thought someone might say that. So look, let's... Let's say let's hope that's the best we can hope for at this stage. Uh, five points for surviving to the uh, for another hundred years. Um, here's one from Elizabeth Askey. What's the most impressive use of AI at the moment, Richard? Well, uh, most, a lot of people would say 
DeepMind's protein folding, but actually, <laughs> how <don't>. about Nimble, <laughs> the world's first AI device that uses artificial intelligence to self-paint and dry fingernails? <laughs> yeah, that that's very, very impressive. Uh, Beth, were you going to jump in there? I was, but with a similarly frivolous answer. Um, I remember the, the, there was a story a few years back about um, an AI can now beat you at Super Smash Brothers, the Nintendo game. And to me personally, that's incredibly impressive. So that that would be my pick. Okay. Um, well, uh, we what do we say? What's the most impressive? I'm, I'm not impressed by any of those, actually. No one's getting any <laughs> what, what about the, um, uh, the story we did this year saying that AI can, uh, with a microphone listening to somebody typing on a touchscreen, can work out what they're typing just by the sound of them typing? Uh, yeah, I think that's quite impressive, but not the most impressive use of AI at the moment. We'll have to just kill that whole question <laughs> off. Um, next one is from Carl Watts, and he says, pound for pound or kilo for kilo, are dogs or reindeer the better pullers of a sleigh? And it's got to be uh, the dogs. Dogs. Yeah, it's got to be dogs, right? You don't have... No one uses, apart from Santa, <laughs> uses reindeer to pull their sleigh, do they? The dogs, um, the dogs want it more. I went on this uh, one of those husky sled things um, in Lapland, and the dogs, you know, they just want to be running all the time. And reindeer, when I when I see a reindeer, they don't seem that interested in in pulling the sled. So I think the huskies. Yeah, that sounds like a football manager saying that the dogs just wanted it more. Well, I mean that <laughs> that is that is it. Isn't it? <laughs> it's a game of two halves, though. I mean, doesn't it depend on the medium, right? I mean, I wouldn't trust a reindeer on Slave ice. Pullers, they're on snow. On snow, <laughs> right? Well, isn't thing. it in the sky? Oh. Isn't that where it's relevant? <laughs> That's a good point. Yes, indeed. I didn't specify that. You're quite right. Um, Next question is from Megan Jones. (laughs) What's your second favourite enzyme? And bonus point for your first favourite. Anyone can name an enzyme? Sam. Yes, um, my favourite enzyme is chymosin because it makes cheese. So good um, one. My second favourite enzyme would have to be uh, luciferase which is the enzyme Ooh. that makes um, light-emitting reactions in bioluminescent Ooh, organs. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, great. Well, let's, uh, let's have... Oh, I've got, I've got a, like, amylase, just because Sam's provided my favourite enzyme. I, I actually so, thought Sam would say amylase. So, yeah. Well, amylase, because it allows us to break down starch... And there is, I'm, I'm going to get this wrong, but there is that there is a theory that amylase in our saliva is why we have big brains. Because... <laughs> there is a theory. It's, it's, <laughs> a, a hypothesis, as we call it. It's, it's, the, it's the expensive tissue hypothesis. It basically says we only became so big-headed because it meant we had to simultaneously shrink our guts, which meant we had to find a way of getting a lot more energy from food implies extracting a lot more and salivary amylase is the enzyme that allows us to do that by breaking down starch from plant tubers to eating chips hurrah um no one said alcohol dehydrogenase what's the matter with you it's christmas because Um, no one knows whether it cures or causes hangovers uh okay richard buckland has the final question from the audience and this is how do theoretical physicists get their funding and get away with not being labelled loonies? Richard, I'm just going to go straight to you for this one. <laughs> Why me? Why me? A Is it my jumper? Physicist and a lo- uh, sorry, I mean you're a physicist. I, I, would, I would say there was a pact made at some stage, I don't know, 50 years ago, 
that uh, there was a certain type of person that correlated with, with being a theoretical physicist. It was better to keep them off the streets and give them something to do. And hence, theoretical physics was born. OK, uh, so let's give you some points for that. That's not a bad explanation. Time out. We've reached the halfway point of our Christmas party. But before we continue, I have a couple of notices. The first is about New Scientist Academy. With over 6,000 active learners, our academy is an education platform for you to get even more involved with the subjects you're most passionate about. We've launched courses covering subjects like the human brain, consciousness, genetics, evolution, greener living and everyday quantum physics. Be one of the first to join our newest course, The Science of Your Wellbeing. Find out how to hack your habits and become a healthier and happier you by examining the concept of wellness under a scientific lens. New Scientist Academy has an offer especially for podcast listeners. Use the code POD40 to book any course at 40% off. New Scientist Academy, science courses for everyone. Go to newscientist.com courses to find out more. And the other thing to mention is our New Scientist Live event in Manchester. The new dates for that hybrid live online event are the 12th to 14th of March 2022. Take a look at the website for more information and we hope to see you there. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Okay, let's get back to the show. We're going to skip the picture round for obvious reasons, so straight back in with round six. This is the most surprising story of the year. So this is the story that made you jump out of your chair and you know probably shout expletives with amazement so you know i want my socks blown off here let's go with sam first so the most surprising story of the year was one that uh, probably a few of our readers would have uh, choked on their uh, cornflakes if they were eating at breakfast time but pigs can breathe oxygen via their rectum so probably humans can too and you might wonder Speak why for yourself sorry nothing no okay so, <laughs> 
the point of this research was that um, people with uh, low blood oxygen levels often get put on a ventilator and that can be very damaging um, and it's, you know, requires sedation. Um, it's, it's, it's not ideal. So why not get oxygen into the body through the back entrance? Um, and they tested this on pigs with low uh, blood oxygen levels. They gave them an enema of oxygenated fluid and their blood oxygen went up. So it might seem bizarre, but if it works in people and there's no reason to think that it, it wouldn't, then it could be a really useful alternative to mechanical ventilation for people who need uh, uh, oxygen, uh, need to get their blood oxygen up. Okay. Uh, thank you very much, Sam. Uh, Beth? So I've gone with an, an analysis that uh, came out in October of this giant Jupiter-like planet, which they found um, orbiting a white dwarf, um, which is a, a kind of stellar remnant. And um, they've seen Jupiter-like planets orbiting white dwarfs before, but they haven't seen one at this particular position. They're usually much closer than that, um, which suggests that it's still at its original position um, rather than having moved inward. And that also indicates that it, it survived the death of this star um, relatively intact, which is just, when I heard about it, is just completely blew my mind, the idea that a planet could survive the death of its star in that way. So that wow. surprised me. Um, Richard, what have you got? Um, I guess I'm also going in the in the region of planets and cosmology, although I do, I do wonder whether anything counts as surprising in that space, because within reason you can make up anything you like. But anyway, this was, <laughs> so planet nine, right, or planet X, at the in the outer recesses of the solar system so we see these these planets um in the kuiper belt beyond pluto with these weird highly elliptical inclined orbits and they all seem to be synchronous in in some way and there's long been speculation that it's because there's a gravitational influence we can't see so a, a shepherd dog planet that's maybe five or 15 times the size of earth um out there beyond the orbit of Neptune in the Kuiper Belt. And the question is, well, why haven't we seen it? Well, there are some people who think we have seen it. There was a story this year about um, that, that we might, in historical data, we might actually have seen this planet X. But my story is the alternative explanation for why we can't see this source of mass in the outer solar system. It's because it is a very, 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 very small black hole left over from the Big Bang. <laughs> And uh, physicists have calculated, because that's what physicists do, that it would need to be about the size of a grapefruit, which would provide a useful explanation for why our current telescopes haven't been able to see it. Okay, thank you. I'm just wondering, so it's only a grapefruit size, that's why we've not been sucked into it. Yeah, I mean, you don't, yeah, these are really small black holes. And really, really small black holes can only be the type of black holes, primordial black holes, left over from the beginning of the universe. There is speculation that they're all over the place, but we wouldn't necessarily know about it. Okay. Um, Penny? So this is why I kind of kept my mouth shut during the, the AI question, because I didn't want to jump the gun. But um, it was phenomenal earlier this year when DeepMind suddenly announced out of the blue that they'd solved the structures of 98.5% of all human proteins. So it's completely unexpected. I remember when my family had its first computer ages ago, we were running crowdsource software. Do you remember you used to have these as um, like a screensaver trying to crunch yeah. the numbers? On, yeah. And we still, by the time DeepMind turned to it, we'd only, you know, as a, a human race, only solve 17% of, of human proteins. And it's, uh, you know, we talk a lot about gene editing being an entirely new technology. 
that has enabled scientists to do completely unprecedented things. But just imagine everywhere there are people who work on human genes and human protein who now can actually know what the thing looks like and how it works. And it completely lifts the lid on a whole new realm of science. So big surprise, but really important one as well. Yeah, I think I agree with you there, Penny. Um, Penny wins that round five points. I'm going to give a bonus point to Sam just for it was the most surprising story of the year, not the grossest, but let's give him a point anyway. (laughs) Round seven is the science story you're most hoping for in 2022. Um, Beth, what have you got? So obviously we've been thinking about vaccines a lot this year for COVID-19, but um, the story that I'm hoping for for, for next year um, is the start of the rollout of the, um, the world's first malaria vaccine. Obviously malaria is a horrible, horrible disease. Um, it kills 400,000 people a year, um, most of whom are children under five. Um, and this particular vaccine has been, the I think it's called the RTSS vaccine. It's been in development for 40 years And in October of this year, um, the WHO approved it for uh, use in children um, across sub-Saharan Africa and a few other regions. Um, Yeah, and there's also hope that um, a vaccine that's been developed by the University of Oxford, we're hoping to hear more about um, the final trial results of that next year as well. So in general, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing more about malaria vaccines and hopefully we'll see some of the benefits of them. Okay, malaria vaccine rollout. Great. Uh, Richard, what are you I hate to be for? all edity, but they did actually start rolling it out in October. <laughs> oh, they've started. Okay, well, that's even better. So not the beginning, but the continuation. Even more rollout. <laughs> uh, Richard, what have you got? Um, so one big event of the coming year will be the LHC starting up again. It's been on a shutdown since the end of 2018. It should be starting to fire up in February and, and, and be fully operational in May. And a lot of people will be looking for evidence of particles beyond the standard model, something that will you know, really revolutionise our, our ideas of physics. I'm looking at something else, which would also revolutionise physics, arguably more, which is there are three experiments which will be looking at whether antimatter falls upwards or downwards. So Um, antimatter being the opposite of matter annihilates with matter whenever it meets. We do not know whether antimatter feels gravity in the same way or the opposite way from normal matter. And you might say... Why do we care? Would it would really set the cat among the pigeons? I was about to say that actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, it would it would really set the cat among the pigeons, and it could explain why our universe looks like it is. Because if if ma- if antimatter has the opposite has has a repulsive gravity, that could explain why our universe, or at least our observable universe, appears to be made entirely of matter because the matter would have chased the antimatter away and it would now be somewhere completely different in the universe. If an anti-gravity existed in the form of antimatter, it might explain things like dark okay. energy. It could also explain... Of chasing it away. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to chase you away now. Um, that, that's enough for that. <laughs> Thank you very much, though. Uh, Penny, what, what are you hoping for next year? Um, well, obviously, um, everyone just wants more coronavirus vaccines, don't they? Because, you know, we've <laughs> plenty going around in, in the wealthy nations that we live in, are lucky to live in. Um, I, it's a bit of a pipe dream, but there was some really interesting discoveries a few months ago that hinted that a universal coronavirus vaccine may be possible. 
So this was a finding that some people seem to have the signs of a T-cell memory from other types of coronaviruses, the kinds that cause common colds, and that may actually give some people protection where they they can't even really get infected uh, Mm. with COVID. I should say this is a very low level of people and you can't bank on it. What's really exciting about that is um, it hints at an entirely different way to vaccine uh, vaccinate against COVID. It would be a, a new type of vaccine. It would be stimulating a different type of immunity, but it would allow us to use uh, the kinds of proteins inside the virus rather than on the outside, the spike protein, which don't mutate as much and are shared across the whole sweep of them. And that would be amazing because I would really like <laughs> to see the back of all of the coronaviruses, please. That would be lovely. Yeah. So some some work, some advances in that that respect would be amazing next year. Yeah. Um, okay, Sam, you've got a tough act to follow now after that. What have you got? Um, so the story I'm hoping to see is uh, the woolly mammoth brought back from extinction. Um, <laughs> this is something that's been, been talked about for a while, but this year a company called Colossus said that they raised $15 million to fund this project. And they're, they're, they want to do it. They want to take a skin cell from an Asian elephant and reprogram it into a stem cell and then add some mammoth DNA to make an elephant that's a hybrid that's adapted for living in the cold. And Mm -hmm. um, the reasons that they give for doing this are pretty dubious. Um, They say it's a way to conserve the Asian elephant by allowing it to live in the Arctic, but that doesn't seem like a great idea. The Arctic's obviously not not doing so well as a habitat right now. And they also say that um, they they think that they can restore the Arctic grasslands by um, releasing herds of mammoths to knock down trees but knocking down trees also seems pretty uh, like the last thing we want to do right now so to be very honest this is a terrible idea but I, <laughs> I would like to see it just because it would be an amazing story I mean wouldn't wouldn't we all like to just see you know resurrecting an animal that humans had killed thousands of years ago yeah I feel like there's okay, a whole well, I think franchise you, of movies about what your own balloon there Sam with that um and also we already we already uh took it apart on the podcast as well so the winner is obviously penny on that we all want to see a universe imagine that universal coronavirus vaccine or even just more vaccines for uh everyone in the world uh so five points to penny for that one and we're coming into the last round it's all to play for the last round is the hero of the year so look I want you to talk about your hero of the year. It can be a human, it can be uh, an object, but what is it that you want to celebrate this year? Uh, Beth, let's start with you. Um, you've correctly predicted that I've picked an object. Um, uh, it's my personal hero. It's the the Ingenuity helicopter, uh, which I love because A, it's adorable, and B, um, it's beaten all the odds. Um, so obviously, it, it back in April, it made its first flight um, on the surface of Mars, and not only has it achieved its mission parameters by doing another four flights after that, it's done tons and tons more. It was only supposed to last 31 days and it's still going. Um, it's survived glitches uh, and it's doing things that it was like never designed to do now. It, it was, it's been helping the Perseverance rover like scout out uh, Jezero Crater on Mars. And yeah, it's just, you know, it's, it's kept on going. And in this year in particular, you know, yeah, that's, that's always a, a thing to admire. There's a, there's a theme with your, your whale earlier and your, your plucky helicopter now here. Brilliant. Thank you. Uh, Sam? Um, so I think the heroes of the year are the um, the ordinary people who have been pushing uh, governments and companies to do more on climate change. And it's quite hard to single out any individuals for this, but um, the person I'm going for is um, Lauren McDonald, who stood on a stage with the um, the Shell CEO, Ben Van Burden, 
in uh, October at a TED event, and she called him out for greenwashing and and for Shell's complicity in in violence and the deaths of people who are being affected by climate change. And she called him one of the most evil people in the world. Um, so it was pretty a uh, sort of powerful confrontation. And she's part of the Stop Cambo group, which campaigned to stop the UK um, opening up this new oil field in the North Sea. And two two weeks ago, Shell announced that they weren't going to go ahead with the project. And I, I don't know whether that moment on stage had any uh, bearing on that, but it's quite possible that um, the risk of legal challenges and, and direct action did play a role. So, um, so yeah, that, that's my... Yeah, I, I saw that as well. That was an incredible bit of footage. Um, Richard, who have you got? I'm also going to go uh, climate change, but perhaps controversially, I'm going to go for a political figure and an establishment figure because I've, I, was at, I was at COP26 and just the, yes, we all want action on climate change. It's not happening fast enough. But just the difficulty of getting almost 200 countries in the world to agree to something, anything that moves things on. So I'm going for Alok Sharma, who actually did it. And no one who was involved in the negotiations from any country in the world I've heard has a bad word to say about what he did, regardless of what you think about the outcome. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, Penny? Another final facet on climate change, I'm afraid. Um, mm. I would go for the IPCC scientists, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Um, their report on the latest state of science out in August was, you know, an incredible body of work and really big headline figures um, that we will hit 1.5 degrees in the next 20 years. But if we work really, really hard, we can bring it back down to 1.4 by the end of the century. Just, there was just so much in it. The scientists worked exhaustively hard, not just to do the science, synthesize the science. They then worked incredibly hard just to get it out to everybody. We had Tamsin Edwards on the podcast, and I was just so moved by the experience she shared with us and and how hard she was working on it. And and I yeah. think it's really fair to say that, that that absolutely set the foundation for COP26. It really felt like everyone was going in knowing what was at, at stake this time, and, and it had a huge impact on the goals that came out. Yeah, um, that was episode 80 of the podcast, as I recall. Do go back and listen to it if you haven't. She was amazing on that. Oh, very difficult. Look, uh, obviously, climate change has been the big thing of the year, really, with COP26 finally happening. I'm going to go with Penny on this. I think um, that the scientists are, you know, underappreciated in a way, and the incredible hard work they do does need to um, get a mention. So five points for that for the heroes. Um, behind the IPCC report. And that's the end of our Christmas party quiz. So, right, let's tot up the scores. In joint third place, we have Richard and Beth with 11 points. In second place, it's Penny with 21 points. And the winner is Sam with 23 and a half points. Amazing. Congratulations, Sam. Thanks to all our contestants and thanks to you for listening. And look, not just to today's show, but throughout the entire year, because what a year it's been. We really appreciate your support. Stay safe and happy holidays and we'll see you in the new year. Goodbye. This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk.
the secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. Um...